Welcome to Hacking the Self. I'm Adrian Baker, and today's part two of my conversation with Roger Drummer on what is Chinese medicine. If you missed the first part of that conversation, you might want to go back and check that out. It is helpful introductory knowledge, and we do talk about Roger's really chief offerings, which are Tian Chi and Inner Peace, which are two amazing formulas which are designed to reduce stress. And he also gives a one-on-one on kind of what is Chinese herbalism. But if uh, you're new to the podcast and you want to dive straight in, that's okay too. You can always go back and, and listen to the first episode later. So I want to thank you for listening. And before I pan to the conversation, I would encourage people, if they enjoy my conversation with Roger, and if they're looking for something to help them with chronic stress, if they just feel stressed out with their jobs, their lifestyle, and they're looking for something healthier than reaching for another glass of alcohol, I would strongly encourage you to check out Tian Chi and Inner Peace. And even if you're already doing a lot of things right for stress reduction, trying to live a balanced life, eating right, exercising, I was already doing all those things and I also introduced Tian Chi and Inner Peace and it has definitely been a very welcome addition to the variety of, of strategies that I use just to feel great and to try to optimize my physical and mental health. And Roger really lays out the case in that first episode and we talk about more today on why someone would want to really supplement you know, the argument for sort of supplementation from a Chinese perspective. We really dove into that more in the first episode. So if you're interested in in hearing that, by all means, go back and check that out. But if you're interested, please do check out Roger's products, which you can find through my website, Adrian Baker Qigong, that's Q-I-G-O-N-G.com. You go to the store section if you go to HerbWorks and you can find both of those products there. A small percentage of those sales help to support the show. And it's something that I'm really happy to do to use affiliate marketing as a way to help finance the show and also just raise awareness around products that I genuinely believe in. There's nothing on there that I don't personally use or practice myself and totally believe in. And that's very true for Roger's products. So I would encourage you to check that out. And finally, if you are new to listening to the show or perhaps especially if you are a return listener, but haven't had the chance to show that you support the show, would really appreciate whatever you're willing to do. And there's a really very simple way to support the show. And that is just by going into your favorite podcasting platform and clicking on subscribe. It takes 30 seconds, if that, but it helps with the algorithm to sort of raise awareness around the profile of the show and for us to reach a larger audience. The second thing you do while you're in there hitting subscribe, you could also rate the show. And if you're enjoying it, giving us five stars. And it just helps to increase the show's visibility and to increase awareness around and hopefully reach more people about all these ideas pertaining to health and wellness that we're trying to raise consciousness of on this show. So would really appreciate that. And you can always share it on social media and just share your thoughts about the show, what you're enjoying, what you'd like to hear more of on the Hacking the Self Facebook page or on Twitter or emailing me at hackingtheself at gmail.com. So thank you so much and enjoy the second conversation with Chinese herbalist Roger Drummer. We've talked about herbalism and you started to touch on Qigong a bit. I'm wondering beyond, let's see, maybe herbs, you know, what are some really other 
key practices for you that are part of living a, a balanced, healthy lifestyle? Actually, I should tee you up for this because I told you in advance, I really want to ask you about, and we're going to get into your remarkable story, but I want to talk about really what goes into the healing process. And so perhaps you can think about that question, not only from the perspective of sort of health and longevity, but what's really integral to healing as well? Well, I have to tell you that when I got into Chinese medicine, I did it because I had chronic fatigue for one reason. The other reason really was I wanted to learn something else from the guy that owned the herb shop. I didn't really want to learn Chinese herbs. I wanted to learn something called Jinshin Do, which was a form of acupressure massage that dealt with the eight strange flows of Chinese medicine. And I didn't really even understand what the eight strange flows of Chinese medicine was. I just understood that when I got it done to me, I thought I was in heaven. And so I wanted to learn that. And the guy that ran the herb shop had written the first book on Jin Shin Do. So I went down to get an apprenticeship because I wanted him to teach me that. He still hasn't taught me that. It's what now, 20 some years later, 25 years. <laughs> so, but I did learn a lot about herbs. <laughs> My whole interest in all of these things all had to do with spirituality. It didn't really have to do with learning about Chinese medicine. I learned Chinese medicine because I had to be in a shop and figure out how to help people so I could keep my job so that I could hang out and try and figure out why I was having spiritual experiences. And so the whole time I was there doing that, I was also studying Kundalini yoga and going to a Sikh temple. I was also going to weekend seminars with Buddhists and, and being introduced to that. I was learning all about just about any spiritual practice I could learn about, any type of healing. I was became a Reiki master. I was studying pranic healing. I was working on people's energy fields or auras and, and learning all these different modalities. But it all had to do with my interest in spiritual experiences. Why did you have spiritual experiences? What actually causes you to have one? What is one actually? And why were certain things happening to me when I took herbs that weren't happening to anybody else. And so that was the whole drive that I had to learn about Chinese herbology. And it's still the focus of everything that I do in Chinese herbology because I had amazing experiences taking a couple of things when I started doing herbs and accessed a part of myself that I never knew existed or that I would even have a, you know, even know at that time that I needed to access because I didn't know anything about it. And yet when I explained these experiences I was having to other people, no one had a clue about what I was talking about. And so my whole decision to stay at the herb shop and be an apprentice and ended up being there for, you know, 12, 14 years in different uh, manifestations of that shop <laughs> moving around town was all based on trying to get an understanding of what how these herbs actually affect your body and what is it all about and what is Chinese medicine really about and I know it's not just about you know dealing with illnesses and dealing with you know infectious disease and and arthritis and all these things that 
Western medicine has made Chinese medicine prove that they can do, that there's a whole spiritual aspect to Chinese medicine that isn't talked about very much at all. And I think that's because in the West, people don't like to talk about spiritual experiences. They like to say we have a soul and then not investigate it anymore, you know. And But Chinese medicine has this whole avenue available to people to go into a deeper study about themselves through the study of energy and how that manifests in your system. And it's, you know, it gave me a way of looking at myself went in a much deeper way when I looked at my own health issues. And really, that's what I relied on when I ended up getting cancer was the fact that I realized I I thought I had a, a spiritual disease and I had to correct my spirit to heal from it. But that doesn't mean I didn't also look at the science of the physical body and how that works. But I knew that just doing that by itself was not going to do it for me. You know, it's, and that's kind of how I separate Chinese medicine and Western medicine. Western medicine has this amazing amount of science where they're, they're getting everything down to the most minute chemical aspect of every cell in your body and how it all interplays and works. But there's no spirit to it. There's your functioning on this type of level will give you another chemical and try and change that. And this is this is why, you know, in particular because I'm talking about cancer of my own thing, is that why we've ended up, I think, with the treatments we have for it now, because they're just poisoning people with treatments. And it works for some people and a lot of people it doesn't. But it doesn't take into a you know, you can only come up with that type of a treatment option if you think that you're just a bag of chemicals and they're trying to kill something that went off in one of your chemicals. Roger, can you talk about what you mean by when you say the cancer that you had, you believed, and I think still believe that it was um, a disease of the spirit. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. In fact, it wasn't something that I even thought about when I was told by the doctor that I had cancer and where it was at, my first, ex- my very first thought was it was a spiritual disease and I had caused it myself through a lack of expression. Okay. And so. And, and do you um, still believe that, that that's what caused it? Oh yeah. I, I totally believe it. And I'm still trying to correct it. Even though I don't have cancer now for two and a half years, it's still a problem I'm trying to correct. Because I will, because of the, you know, my whole personality and, and the things that happened to me when I was a child and, and how you come in with your own programs and stuff, my problem my whole life is about expressing myself. I'm a, I'm a complete introvert. If you ever seen a book that describes someone as being the, like a group of people that are the most introverted people in the world, they wrote that about me, right? So, so I had my personality. You ever do the Briggs-Meyer personality test? I make, my group of people makes up 1% of the population. We, we, are, we are the most introverted people, right? So my whole life has been about um, not ex- not expressing things, right? And being shy and reserved. And a lot of times I don't, you know, I don't feel bad about it. I just, I like observing things. I have, I'm a very heavy observer of everything that goes on. I don't feel the need to express. But when I got this illness, 
I realized that I had so much energy and information and stuff that I could be sharing with people. And it was my life purpose to do that. And I wasn't fulfilling it. And that had caused a hole in my energy field that had to do with right where I had my cancer. So that whole that whole bladder cancer is right below your navel there. That that whole area has to do with second chakra expression, putting yourself out into the world. And I wasn't fully engaged doing that. And I knew that I was holding back a lot of who I was to people because I'm I'm you know being heavily introverted. I'm also like a chameleon. I can I can sit down with a group of guys and uh, have a beer and talk football for hours and walk into the next room and sit down and have a sparkling water and talk about your energy body for hours. I can walk the same person, different group of people, right? I can, I can move widely around, you know, between different subjects so easily because of, of, I just have a lot of experience with it, but I keep that part of myself almost hidden from most people. Most people I know don't even have a clue that I have a spiritual life because I'm just quiet about it and I'm very reserved about it and I'm, I'm an introvert, right? But if someone actually asked me a, a sincere question, I'd just start talking. You know, I have to be prompted. <laughs> One of those people has to be prompted to do anything. You know what I mean? So I realized when I had this cancer that that had to do with that energy spot in my body. And I've, I've known for years that that spot in my energy field has been deficient for, you know, decades. It's always been my problem. It's in, with most introverts, maybe it's the same with all of them, but that's one of my things. And so I realized that when I started my program to get over my cancer, I had a herb program, take care of my physical body. And to work on, you know, anti-inflammatory markers that fuel cancer cell production. They also dealt with stem cell, you know, killing cancer cancer stem cells, circulating tumor cells, because I had a biopsy which scraped my tumors and releases cells around your system. But then I also had a dietary change. But then I also changed my meditation to deal with my what I perceived was lacking in how I looked at things and how I expressed myself. And I knew that because of, you know, I, I find that just between you and I, I, I find that Taoism is very similar to quantum physics, theoretically, theoretical quantum physics, right? I think there's a great relationship between that. And I think that if people keep studying theoretical quantum physics, they're going to find out that it's all about Taoism and meditation. <laughs> I think that what they're going to find out is what the Taoist monks were talking about 3,000 years ago and the monks from India were talking about and the Buddhist up in Tibet, what they're talking about all the time is makes perfect sense if you stick it into theoretical quantum physics, right? And so when I sat down to do my meditation program, I looked at and this has always been fascinating to me because, you know, I, I was born Catholic, just so you know. And in, in Catholicism and in Christianity, you're always told that you have a soul and that's about it. They don't really go into anything about what it is, how it functions, what it has, you know, what does it have, you know, to do with anything, right? But you have one, right? And 
I have always wondered why, if you have something like that, or let's say there's a being that we call God, and if God gave you a soul, why wouldn't you have the ability to understand what that meant and how that actually works with your physical body? And why don't we know as much about that as we do cellular biology? Why is that so different that we can't look into that in a way and understand it and actually utilize it for our own personal health? Why can't we? Because we don't see it under a microscope and because we don't know enough people that actually write about that. When we read about it, we always think it has to be hokey or something. So, you know, in my own research, which, you know, because my whole life is about my spirituality, I've looked into that for years. And, and you know, in a lot of teachings out of India and, and Eastern teachings, they talk about how your body is actually a function or your soul has a function of five different layers. And in other words, we exist on a soul level in five different dimensions, right? Your physical body is just one dimension of those dimensions, right? And outside of that, we have another energy field, which they're actually talking about a lot now in, in quantum physics. They call it you know, the vital field. The vital field is the blueprint for how your physical body works. And this is interesting in, in, in connection to Chinese medicine because according to this theory, your vital field is really where meridians exist. They don't really, you know, you ever read any of that science where they can't actually find a meridian on somebody's body, right? Well, well the theory is, is that it exists it's part of the blueprint that surrounds your physical body. And this blueprint is something you're born with. And in basically every cell in your body has a instruction, set of instructions in this energy field for how it's actually supposed to work. I just right? came across every a book organ. that sounds really similar to this idea. I'm trying to remember the name. It's something like the, the shock in the system or something like that, how... Western medicine proves acupuncture works or something like that. I'll get the exact name for for you. Well, there's a really good book. I think it's called The Quantum Doctor by Goswami, Amit Goswami, that goes a little bit into depth about the energy fields. But they're talking about there's a there's another guy that coined the term morphogenic field, and that's another name for this field that's around you. And he claims that there's a morphogenic field for everything that exists in nature. How does an acorn know how big it's supposed to grow? There's an energy field that directs everything about that through its whole lifetime. It follows the pattern, right? Everything in nature follows the pattern. So human beings are the same way. That original cell that started out, you know, started out as one cell and everything just keeps moving out, moving out and growing and growing and growing until you become a human being. And that one cell moves up and becomes the top of your brain stem there. And everything moves out from that. Well, that blueprint is what tells every cell when it's supposed to differentiate into an organ, an eyeball, a toenail, whatever it's supposed to do, right? So this is the vital field around you. And the next field after that is your mental emotional field. And this is a very important thing because your mental emotional field is where you steal where you store all your mental pain and your hurts and all the things that happen to you in your life. And the reason that that's so important 
is because those energies disrupt the signaling between your vital field and your physical body. So the pathways by which all these energies, these levels of your soul, communicate with your physical body become disrupted by your emotions and you start to unhook from this blueprint that you have. This is where stress comes in. This is why stress why your digestion doesn't work when you're stressed, why most of your brain doesn't work when you're stressed, why all these different patterns start dysfunctioning all over your entire body because you're disconnecting from your own life force and how this energy directs every single cellular function in your body. This is why acupuncture works so well because acupuncture reconnects. It's a reconnecting system for everything that's flowing around your entire system. And if I can just add to that, Roger, I found the title of the book, if you're interested or if anyone else out there, it's called The Spark in the Machine, How Acupuncture Explains the Mysteries of Western Medicine. It came highly recommended and it's got good reviews on Amazon. So it's enough to prompt me to read it. (laughs) So just to kind of sum this up with the energy field. So beyond your mental emotional field is something called the supramental, right? And this has been written about for thousands of years in in certain traditions in Hinduism. And Amit Goswami talks about it in his, his books on quantum theory. And that field of energy beyond your emotions. So basically what they're talking about is going beyond your emotional state, right? To another state of energy. In that field of energy, if you can reach it through meditation, your body can completely change its DNA instantly. I mean, just instantly. So I that was the first thing I thought of when I got sick that I needed to expand my consciousness around what was actually happening to me, fix my energy problem, and transcend my mental emotional state and get into super mental. And and a little bit beyond that, just in case you're wondering what the next, the last one is, it's called bliss. That's where you just fully bliss and really see the, you know, at one with everything is bliss. And I thought, well, it can't be that hard to do because I've been blissed out many, many times in my journey through Chinese medicine. It used to be my main focus for 10 years was just getting bliss, figuring out why you get blissed, how to get into the bliss state. And I hadn't been there for a long time, but I knew it it existed. And I knew that it was possible because I used to do it all the time. And so part of my cancer program was this whole idea of getting blissed out. And so, and so I know it sounds probably so out there for people to, ever, to hear this, that you, this is what I would, you would think of for your cancer program. This is how I thought, right? And, you know, I've got nobody helping me with my cancer anyway. I'm doing it all by myself at home. I taught myself the ketogenic diet with just a little bit of, of uh, help from a friend of mine who had done it. And I figured out my entire herb program from just doing research. And then I just started doing a different form of my same meditation. I just changed a little bit of the emphasis of it. And one day, it was probably two months. It was about seven weeks after I started my program that I was in my living room and I realized I was blissed out. And I was so high and so happy. And then I got a message that my cancer was gone. And I went out and told my wife and she thought I was nuts. 
And one of my relatives called me to ask me about my cancer surgery, which was coming up in three weeks. And I told her I, I had moved on. I, I'm not even dealing with it anymore. <laughs> so they all thought I was nuts. <laughs> so I went in to have a biopsy and, and there's nothing there. I don't have cancer anymore. But I knew it. I knew it when I went in. I was I had gotten so blissed out and I got a direct message that it was gone and everything was corrected. And so that was the end of that. So what did you I mean talk about like it's not a very it's not a very typical cancer no, story and, I have to admit and, and fortunately I'd heard it before so that I'm actually prepared to ask you some questions or else I'd probably be in a state of shock and, and would it be would just be sort of dumbfounded by it and there's still so many questions I want to ask you I guess let's start with this one number one you know as someone who clearly was just talking about how the emotions are very much wrapped in up with the physical and obviously Chinese medicine is all about this and believing that the emotions are stored in the organs and you have to address the emotions. And as you said, the spirit in order to deal with any disease on a basic level, you know, how do you work with that fear when you've got that kind of diagnosis, you know, recognizing that you also have to transmute all your emotions, including fear in order to heal. How do you work with that? Well, you know what? happened to me, which was, I still look back at it and almost want to laugh because I also have a weird sense of humor, but I got my diagnosis and I was so blown away that I went home and it was about at least two to three weeks. I don't have an exact time. It was probably closer to three weeks that I was just stunned, just literally stunned. I had no, you know, sitting there, what am I going to do? Because, you know, I was told that there's only one treatment. I had to have my bladder removed. I had to have my prostate removed. Um, I had to go through like a 14-hour operation to make a new bladder out of my intestines. And I already knew somebody that kind of happened to. And that was a nightmare of antibiotics the whole rest of their life. And it was, you know, I'm sitting there thinking about that, so stressed out and just, you know, and just thinking about the whole stress thing and then realizing that I'm the stress guy. <laughs> I'm the guy that makes everything for stress, right? And when I realized that, I almost laughed out loud in my living room because I said I needed something for stress. And, you know, it's sitting right in my kitchen. I have bottles of inner peace sitting all over the place, right? So I went out and took a bunch of inner peace. And I'm telling you, within a day or two, I just had this complete change of how I was looking at everything. I no longer dreaded getting on the internet to look up my disease because every time I did, they just told me I had a 25% chance of living for five years, right? I had I had to have this surgery. There's no other options, right? And if that fails, I have to do this and this and this and this. And, and then I got this article. It was funny. I was in the doctor's office and I got this article where they they were just raving about this new immunotherapy for my exact illness. Right? Yep, I've read a bit about it. Yeah. And the lady was going, oh, I'm just so happy. They they claim I could live another six weeks. And I'm, I'm thinking, another six weeks? That makes you excited? <laughs> what is that about, right? And then, and then I got, it was just so happened that they were running these articles in the New York Times about people with stage three bladder cancer, what I had. And all three of them were so excited about this new therapy and, 
and it was only going to cost them seventy-five to a hundred thousand dollars. And and then they showed pictures of them sitting there in their hospital bed, wired up to these machines, drinking soda pop. Right? I thought, God, there's just something wrong with this whole idea, right? But when I started taking the thing that really helped me, besides inner peace, was inner peace changed my brain. I actually got I got over the dread in a couple of days of taking a lot of inner peace. Can I ask what kind of dosage you were taking? I was taking four or five caps at a time, probably three times a day for the first few weeks. Okay. And, you know, it just kind of really flipped things for me. But what really happened, which was just as important, was that because when my brain flipped, I started to really research my own thing. And I realized that I just love researching herbs and herbs for weird, um, obscure things, right? <laughs> I hadn't been doing that much of it recently. And now I'm researching all these articles about herbs that kill cancer stem cells and herbs that do this and herbs for circulating tumor cells. And I just got really excited. It was so much fun. I just, and then I, this friend of mine who had, you know, had used the ketogenic diet and he had told me about it six months before that. And I thought, I'm not going to eat that strict. Come on. You know, it's too strict for me. I'm happy with my diet. I'm perfectly healthy. <laughs> and then I got cancer. And so he helped me just get started. Within a couple of days, I was in medical ketosis. It didn't take me very long to do it at all because I was driven to do it, Right. And I had inner peace, which I'm telling you, when you when you can control your stress hormone, you can control your blood sugar. And if you can control your anxiety, you have to control your anxiety or you won't be able to control your blood sugar. And so the combination of that and the fact that now I was getting all this new research on all these herbs and starting to take a whole bunch of herbs I hadn't taken in a long time or ever before – and putting these this program together for myself and putting them in all these baggies and creating all this stuff, I realized one day I was just having a lot of fun. It was actually, it was actually fun to me to do and doing my ketones and stuff every day because if you're really in medical ketosis, you got to have a machine to just like a diabetic to measure your blood, and you want to have a certain level of ketones, a certain level of glucose. And then you divide the two and you get into this ratio of something called the glucose ketone index. And it's got to be at a certain number to know that you're in medical ketosis. And I was in medical ketosis almost all the time. It's, and it was so exciting to me. It sounds because, like the kind of thing Ben Greenfield's doing for fun. Oh, yeah. This is, <laughs> this is what, so I'm puncturing this and I'm, oh, my numbers. Oh, my God. I'd wake up in the morning and go, God, another day I get to starve my cancer. This is just too much fun. I'd run down and do my numbers and I'd drink this stuff and take these herbs. And my numbers were just, I'm going, oh my God, this is so much fun. I know I'm killing it. You know, I know it's just because the theory is if a, a cancer cell can only eat fermented sugar. So if you remove the food source from it, it really doesn't have a lot of options. It's crippled, you know, energetically. Cancer cell not only can only eat fermented sugar, but it requires something like 18 times more sugar than a normal cell. So if you're starving it, it really has a hard time doing anything. And so I'd wake up, I was starving it, and it just made me happy. <laughs> 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 Knowing you're killing you know, it off. 
Yeah, and then the 1st of September, I think it was right around the 1st of September, about three weeks before my next biopsy, because they kept really trying to rush me to get it done so they could do the surgery, because, you know, I waited too long. You know, they had done the first biopsy, which means they scraped my tumors, which kicks them up and kind of makes them angry, you know, and you kind of disturb everything. You want to get it out of your system. And so... Well, I put it off, and so I finally went in. But three weeks before I went in, I, I told my wife, I don't have it anymore. I'm not. When she dropped me off the hospital, she goes, are you scared? I said, no, I feel great. I said, I, I don't have cancer. You know, it's just a, I'm just going through the paces here to make everybody happy. So let me and ask so, you this. What, what were your really big takeaways from this whole process about what healing is? How did your perspective on that question change? Well, healing, this is, since you asked, um, and I've written a little bit about this, but um, this is why I consider Chinese medicine a superior medicine to Western medicine, right? Now, I'm sure there's going to be some doctors that listen to this that want to kill me for saying that, but it doesn't mean that I would say, you know, my preferred choice of treating everything is Chinese medicine. No, it doesn't mean that. I think Western medicine has so much mind-blowing stuff going on in it. Even though they get certain things wrong, they get stuck in patterns and they don't see past it for a while. But the amount of science that goes into Western medicine is mind-blowing, right? And it's it's really exciting to, to research that and look at it. But I feel that Chinese medicine is superior because it has an aspect to it that's all about healing. It has an aspect to it that's all about your spirit or your shen. And even though I referred back to it as I was talking about layers of the soul earlier, well, in Chinese medicine, they just talk about your shen. And really, your shen is about your soul. And it's just different terminology between different cultures and different things. But they have this built into Chinese medicine, that there's a Shen aspect. And the whole system of Chinese medicine, especially the tonic herbal part of it, and the Taoist meditation and the Qigong, it's all about working with energy in your physical body to get yourself to a state of a, of a certain type of balance to where everything just flows. And then in that flow and in that positioning is where all healing and potential is met. All your healing potential is in that state of being, right? And it's possible through meditation, qigong, spiritual practices, whatever those spiritual practices are. But Chinese medicine recognizes that. There's a segment of it that's all about opening the heart changing the way you see life. I used to, we used to talk about this when we talked about Jing, Qi, and Shen. You, you build your Jing and guard your Qi and, and you cultivate your life. You're cultivating your energy so that one day you have an experience to where you wake up and you're fully alive, right? And then you have the energy and life force to go out in life and do whatever you want to do because you cultivated that energy in your system. So healing really is not just your physical body. It's the whole mental, emotional, spiritual aspect of your being that all comes into a complete focus and alignment. And we all have that possibility. It's all there. So I want to build on what you said, and I want to make some connections across different 
cultures and disciplines and try to sort of get at some of the bigger insights, right? The wisdom that sort of goes across different time and place and things like that. Because I think one thing that's so integral to this whole process that I've started to realize over the last few years, and it's been through a number of modalities. It was, you know, yoga brought me to Qigong. And then also there was an experience I had on my yoga trip that wanted me to go down to Peru and work with ayahuasca. And then actually when I was, I was working with peyote this last summer, and I think there's an interesting connection here I want to ask you about in terms of herbalism and, and sort of psychoactive plants as well, and, and sort of the connection that all these different cultures around the world, you know, have really used uh, in some sense or another. And I think one key, the sort of unnamed thing here that's underlying everything, the whole healing process is it's nature, right? Nature is the healing process. All of this comes from nature. You know, the herbs come from nature. And I was thinking about this as I was, you know, uh, working with peyote over the summer. And in the mornings, I would be doing my qigong, which is Hua Tua's five animal frolics. And I was thinking, this is a deeply shamanic practice. And like, I was just relating to it in an entirely different way. And I think so many of our diseases in the West are fundamentally rooted in our disconnection from nature and the healing process is about returning to nature. Not only the herbs we put in our body, but just all the different ways that we can, you know, spend time in nature and serve nature. And that's the problem with Western civilization is we thought nature was there to serve us and it's the other way around. We're there to serve nature. Right. You know, one of the most influential books I ever read when I was first starting in herbalism, and it's kind of funny that I say this because when I read it, I didn't understand most of the book, but it had a chapter <laughs> in the book. And it was written by Diane Connolly, who started a five-element Chinese medicine school in, I think, Baltimore, Maryland. And it was the idea that all sickness is homesickness. It's a, it's a signal to your body to come home to itself because you put so much of your life is outside of yourself, dealing with things that have nothing to do with who you are or who you are internally. And so you get an illness to start paying attention to yourself. So all sickness is homesickness. And you know, you're, the whole cultural thing all over the world, people are trying to have these experiences with different psychedelics and herbs, and they're really trying to have an experience of the mystic, really. What is the mysteries of life? They're, they're trying to have an experience of that. And it's not just the herb that gives you that experience. You have to have the apparatus in your system to have that experience. The herb is just opening something that exists within you to allow you to have that experience. It, it's totally clear. And it maps onto what a lot of people like, for example, who research psychedelics, people like Dennis McKenna would say is, if you look at the molecules, look at how the molecules interact with your brain. They're really, it's not bringing in some foreign entity. It's, it, it's in a way igniting the chemistry of your brain. I mean, the most extreme example would be ayahuasca because DMT is found endogenously in your body already. And if you look at something like psilocybin, the molecular structure of psilocybin is incredibly similar 
to a serotonin molecule, which is perhaps no wonder why it is effective antidepressant. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you know, when I was apprenticing and I started, you know, I'd been at the shop for probably, let me see, three or four months as an apprentice. And I was actually getting ready to leave and quit, right? Because I thought it was fun. I had had a series, probably at that time, I'd had about eight crying dreams. I started out having flying dreams, taking asparagus root. I was chewing asparagus root, these pieces that were about the size of your index finger. And I'd have started out having two or three flying dreams, and then they went into crying dreams. And every night that I would eat this root, I'd have a dream and it wasn't a, it was actually an experience I had already had in my life that I was either ashamed of or made to feel ashamed. And in my dream, I allowed myself to cry. In most of those times in real life, I didn't cry. I just felt ashamed. But in my sleep, I started out, I was three years old, five years old, six years old. And I had this series of dreams where I would just bawl my eyes out. And then I would wake up in bed in the same position I was in my dream, so wet. I had to get rid of my pillow and my, you know, my, get a different blanket for the bed. I was soaking wet, you know, right? but I also felt like I had lost five or 10 pounds of grief in the middle of that. I felt so, when I'd wake up after I dried myself off, I felt so amazingly fine. It was just unbelievable, right? So I've had all these crying dreams and nobody at the shop or anybody I ever talked to had ever had any experience eating that fruit, right? And so I was getting ready to leave the shop and my teacher was making an herb tea out of this reishi mushroom we found growing in the shed out behind the store, right? Some spores had flown off this thing and this big mushroom was about 10, 12 inches high had grown off of a board. And so we harvested it and made a tea out of it. And I didn't even know much about what reishi mushroom was or anything about it. We had 10 of our best customers come to the store that were all friends of his and acupuncturists and all these other herbalists. And I was just a guy at that time who swept the floors and cleaned the shop, right? And so I made the tea for everybody and I served it to everybody. That was the only reason they, they didn't invite me to stay. It was one of those things where I wanted to know what it was. So I just stayed and I served everybody tea and I drank two cups of tea. thought it tasted really bad. And well, on the way home, I have this incredible experience of God speaking to me, right? And at first I thought it was a joke. Someone spoke to me so loud that I stopped in the middle of the sidewalk and looked around and thought somebody from the herb shop had followed me home and was pulling a joke on me. That's how loud it was. And so you're going to laugh, but I actually looked under two or three parked cars to see if someone was hiding around there. I thought I kept looking behind car. There's somebody got to be here because that voice was so loud, right? And so then I thought, well, hell, I don't, I don't know what that was, right? And so I started walking down the street and all of a sudden it spoke to me again. And it just said, don't worry, everything's just fine. You're going to be fine, right? And 
I, I stopped at that moment. It was just like, it's like some cheesy movie. I looked instantly up in the clouds and they seemed to be moving around. And I had goosebumps all over my body and the hair stood up on the back of my neck. And that was right at that moment I had energy. I felt so alive. It was unbelievable. And I walked another quarter mile to get home. And I went into my bedroom that I rented in this house and I sat down and I remember staring at this wall, which had nothing on it. It was just a white wall. And I must have sat there for three hours. I never moved. And I don't remember having any thoughts. I just remember white and staring at it. And <laughs> it's like I'd gone off into space somewhere. And this is from drinking a, a reishi mushroom tea, right? There's no drugs in it, nothing going on. I went back the next day and I contacted everybody that was there and asked them what happened to them when they took that tea. And nothing happened to any of them, right? Nothing. They just said, oh, it was relaxing. I believe it. I mean, honestly, I had two nights ago, I had three capsules of inner peace. And I went into the city with my wife for a little bit. And I felt so deeply relaxed, but kind of in the way, I don't know if you've ever had, if you have like a high CBD tincture with just like a little bit of THC. So it's not really psychoactive. You're not stoned, maybe like a 20 to one or 24 to one CBD to THC. But there's a deep relaxation and a bit of a subtle hints like outer layer of euphoria. And that's exactly what I had. And I thought I actually had to stop. And I was like, did I take this some CBD THC? Because I feel that way. It almost feels the, the mild level of stone's not the right word because it's not that deep psychoactive. But I mean, there was euphoria along with relaxation, but I hadn't, I hadn't, it was, it was just the inner peace. And there was really nothing else in the equation diet wise or anything else that would have explained it. So I believe you know, I, the, the very first time I ever took inner peace, I took it with a cup of coffee because I was been up all night. I, I was doing something. I was picking my kids up from the mall. They were at dance class. I had just gotten my first bottle of inner peace. So I just popped four of them and, and I had this cup of coffee I didn't really even like drinking and I drank it and I was sitting there in the van waiting for my kids and about 40 minutes later I was thinking oh my god if I could sell this I'm euphoric I just I had I got so euphoric I, it. I just could not believe the feeling I had from that now it doesn't do that anymore because I've had it quite a few times, right? But that first time was just like, wow, if I could bottle that feeling every time you take inner peace, it would be a mind-blowing thing. But you know, it just, it was a combination of being totally relaxed and then opening up and it was just unreal. That reishi experience, besides going home that night, that experience ended up lasting for a week from those two cups of tea. I had ex I had an experience two days after I drank it, or no, a day after I drank it, that I still can't hardly explain what it was actually going on of seeing energy and and completely changing a human being just with my heart energy and just hearing, reading people's thoughts and all these things were happening to me. And at the same time, I know it's happening to me. 
and I'm observing it, and this voice is go. You know, I'm just trying to decide what is it all about. You know, it's just it was. It's really that that experience has defined everything that I do in herbalism. Is knowing that if you can relax someone's nervous system and open up the energy centers in their brain, you have a potential to have an experience that could be meaningful for you for the rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious, you know, I mean, I think these sort of adaptogens and something that can calm the nervous system on a regular basis is something that can really become an integral daily part of the practice in a way that's safe, it's accessible, it doesn't have, you know, side effects or real risks. I'm wondering, you know, for those sort of perhaps less frequent sort of bigger occasions, what your thoughts are, since we've touched on the subject of the use of psychoactive plants as someone who is, you know, an herbologist, obviously has deep appreciation for that. Has that been a part of your own path and practice at all? And what is your view generally on the discussion? Well, you know, I've, I've done those things quite a few times before I had my Reishi experience. Now, I hadn't done any of them for five or six years before I um, had my experience walking down the street with Reishi mushroom. And, and in the context that I did them before that wasn't really the pursuit of having some sort of mystical experience. I was just taking them because other people were and I wanted to see what it was, right? So I didn't have any context to it. But since I had my Reishi experience, I really haven't had any desire to do anything. It was such an unbelievable experience because you, on one hand, you would think you'd have to be high to have this experience. But I wasn't high at all. There was nothing <laughs> that I wasn't in control of at every single second of the process. I was completely just aware and present and fully alive and had this experience, right? So... I honestly think that I have nothing against people trying to have experiences with ayahuasca and and mushrooms or peyote or whatever they want, but I think they should do it in a context that they want to learn something and have a a learning experience from it. And so it should probably be done in the context of some sort of ceremony and somebody leading the process so it becomes something that you integrate and learn from as opposed to popping some peyote and watching the Super Bowl. <laughs> right. No, and I, I, I want to – even the image of that is hilarious. I want to resoundingly agree and just say, you know, your intention is crucial. It's actually been a big part of this podcast is trying to sort of emphasize that message for people and also respect for people. It's it's It returns to the back to nature theme, you know. People were using these in a specific context in which they had a deep connection with nature. They understood how to use these plants and the plants were about deepening their own connection to nature and they were healing in part because they were deepening that connection. So I totally agree with you. You know, this isn't something to just sort of pop and do casually. That's that's one of the beautiful things about magic mushrooms is that for a lot of people that do those things, it's the first time they ever experience themselves as having energy. They see energy a bit. They see energy. They feel it move. They have an awareness of energy fields. And it, it, that just having that experience even one time uh, just alters your reality of, of everyday living. You know, you realize that so much of what we do every day as what we call our everyday living 
is just scratching the surface of the total experience of being here and being human. So it's a mind-altering, not only mind-altering when you do it, but for the rest of your life. Absolutely. And the research has showed that, you know, uh, even in these double blind clinical trials at Johns Hopkins, when they interview people six months down the line, a year down the line, two years down the line, people overwhelmingly, I forget the numbers. It's very high. It might be 80% rated in the top five most significant experiences of their life. And, and that's doing it by the way, in a room in a hospital. You know, if they only were to do it like, you know, out in the mountains or a river or by the ocean, it could have been that much more meaningful, you know. Sitting next to a mountain stream with the white foam coming over the rocks and the sounds and the, yeah. I think that's a great point. It's an experience of chi unfolding. Yeah, it is. You know, and you look at some of the deeper stuff in in Taoism on chi and Jin Ching and Jing Chi and Shen and. Ancestor Lu, you know Ancestor Lu? Ancestor Lu is very famous old Taoist monk, and he used, he's got a whole book on how every single thing in the universe is part of Jing Qi and Shen. You know, the rivers, the water, the rocks, the ocean, the sky, the stars, everything's a manifestation of Jing Qi and Shen. And there's some other writings about how Shen really is the soul of the universe. And everything else is a manifestation of how that energy interplays, moves, and becomes substance. It's very fascinating stuff. And, and uh, that's why I love it so much. It's, it's so out there. It's absolutely fascinating. We could go on for, for hours. But Roger, I'm conscious of your time. But before I let you go, I'd love to ask you. You know, and you you referenced this a little bit earlier, but I'm curious if you had to name sort of the three most influential or life-changing books on, I was going to ask Chinese medicine or Taoism, but if you just want to say three books, period, I'd love to hear those titles and authors from you. I always tell people I have the largest um, unread library in the world. And because I never finish a book. We should have a contest <laughs> lately, sometime. I, I, re- <laughs> <laughs> I research a lot of things and I get what I want out of it and I just drop it, right? But I'll tell you, one of the things that really influenced me lately was that book, The Quantum Doctor by Amit Goswami. One of the other books was The uh, God Talks to Arjuna by Paramahansa Yogananda because he was... He writes, he basically translated the Bhagavad Gita, and he has such amazing writings on energy and how everything manifests on every level of energy. And this is where you get the, some of the original writings of, you know, on the soul, the five layers of the soul and what that means. And, and you know, there's a lot of Ayurvedic mixed in with it and it's it's just a very fascinating book and it's also a book that you're that once you buy it you're going to probably have to read it for the rest of your life. I oh that reminds me of a funny quote um this guy that wrote a book called Power versus Force. He was considered to be a living Buddha in Korea and, and he had the funniest comment on becoming enlightened because he was a fully enlightened being, right? He had this experience and but 
he said, what was really fascinating was that once I had that experience, I could read the Bhagavad Gita and I actually understood some of it. (laughs) And then probably one of the other books was uh, had something to do with with Taoism. I love the the secret of the golden flower. And there's certain books in Taoism that I absolutely love and still don't fully understand half of what the book's about. But it fascinates me so much because I know that it's really speaking to me on some level. And so that would probably be it for me. Okay, cool. Well, Roger, I um, yeah. You know, the thing about Amit Goswami's book is that it it puts in layman's terms through his because he was he he writes he's basically all about quantum physics and i think he wrote the original textbook on quantum physics that's still used in universities but he uh he's he's taken this whole concept of the gita and the soul and breaking it down in terms of energetics and and quantum physics and how it all works with medicine and it's very fascinating. It's got a whole chapter on Chinese medicine too. You I will read. definitely read yeah. it for sure. Any endorsement from you that that's strong, I will definitely read. Well, Roger, thank you so much for your time. I'm deeply appreciative and really enjoyed this conversation. And you're just like a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. I mean, I, I absolutely love well, talking I, to you. Well, I hope you got some good stuff out of it. And it was fun. I enjoyed it. And so um, we'll have to do something again sometime. I would love that. It looks like I'm going to be spending more time back in the States. So hope to meet you in person someday as well. That'd be fun. Well, then make sure you have some inner peace. <laughs> I'll need it, huh? Because <laughs> <laughs> your nervous system is going to get a good tweaking <laughs> coming back. Oh, yeah, that's true. That is very true. I'll probably have to double down on the dosage. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All, All right, right, Adrian. Thank you. Again, for having me. Thank you, Roger.